Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Third and fourth degree perineal tears can have a devastating effect on a woman's life. Australia has one of the worst rates of third and fourth degree perineal tears in the OECD. Now, something is being done to reduce the rate of tears and to ensure that women who do tear to this degree get better support and care following childbirth. The Australian Commission on Safety and Quality Healthcare has released a new clinical care standard to improve the quality of care in Australia. Associate Professor Emmanuel Carantanis is an obstetrician and urogynecologist, and Janelle Gullen is a woman who has experienced a third degree perineal tear. Welcome to you both. Thank you so thank much you. for having Thanks us. for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Siobhan. Emmanuel, if I could start with you, I understand that tears are quite common in vaginal deliveries. What is considered a normal tear, and how well does that heal? Well, Tears in general are common. I think um, it's important, I stress that right now, probably 90% of first-time mothers will have some kind of tear. Some of them have minimal tearing, like first-degree tearing. Probably most of them have what we call second-degree perineal tearing, which is usually, both of those, both of those tears are actually uh, usually easy to fix. Uh, they heal really well, and for the vast majority of women, they have no, no problem at all in the long term. And then, of course, there are third-degree tears. When we talk about a third or fourth-degree tear, um, what exactly does it mean? How, how severe is it? Well, I often show a diagram to show exactly what it means because it's hard to visualise uh, when we just talk about it. But imagine there's a space in between the vagina and the anus, and that, that area, there's also just around the anus is a muscle called the external anal sphincter and it's when that muscle is breached that we call a tear a third degree tear and actually there are degrees of third degree tears so there's a lot of muscle being torn you know we might call that a 3b or a 3c a fourth degree tear is where it tears even further than that into the anal canal. And how common are third or fourth degree tears? I did say that Australia currently has quite a, a high rate compared to other countries in the OECD of these types of tears. How common are they in Australia? About 5% of first-time mothers will experience a third or fourth degree tear having a vaginal birth. And uh, that is higher than other places. Although you know, I don't think it's much higher than, for instance, the UK. Part of the problem with, with the rate of diagnosis incidence of third degree tears is that sometimes the minor tears are missed and not detected. So to, to say that any of those rates around the world are absolutely accurate is difficult. So it could be that we're better at detecting them and we're actually finding that the rate is more like 5%. So Janelle, you were part of that 5% with your delivery. Did you realise that you had torn after you gave birth? To be honest, I didn't at that time. Um, I knew I did have an episiotomy as well, so I knew there was going to be something that needed to be fixed up there. But I was really blessed that I had a midwife who held that space beautifully for me and I was just able to soak up in that 
gorgeousness of cuddling my baby and kissing him and just being really present in that moment and then it was after I'd been given some time with that they did some further further exploration and were able to give me that information that there had been some further tearing there and that that would need to be um, addressed in theatre. So did was that something that happened straight away or was it something that you had to come back for? No, that was while well, I was still in, in the hospital. I think it was about 40 minutes that I had with my baby while we attempted a breastfeed and then um, some further assessment was done, just checking in what was happening. So it was all part of that process. But um, one thing that I really do love about my experience was that it didn't take away from that time that I had with my my baby, even though there was then that, that assessment and that information that needed to be shared with me. And how did it impact you in terms of your recovery after the childbirth? I had a really challenging recovery. So while I'm really grateful for how that information was shared with me, um, things kind of went downhill from from there. I did end up getting an infection. Just that whole process of going to theatre, I ended up spending a lot of time alone. Um, My husband was sent home in the middle of the night. Um, I, I felt very alone in that initial recovery Um, I then had challenges with my referral going through to the perineal clinic. Um, I had procedures done to me without my consent and no record of that made. And any support that I was given was very physical in nature and it completely missed the the emotional well-being and the mental health impacts of, of having a tear. So I needed to seek a lot of that out myself. And I can I can say I'm now standing the other side of that in a really good position, loving my body and really happy with the way that it functions. But it has certainly been a significant journey. And I really hope that this, um, this standard is able go- going to be able to fill in some of those gaps and get get that care to women sooner. So when you say that the um, emotional support wasn't Mm. really there, what was it you were feeling? I think when you have a tear like that, it can really challenge the relationship that you have with your body, perhaps some of the thoughts and beliefs that you had around your body's ability to birth. It flows up a whole lot of questions about what you might want to do if or when you have another child. It really impacts on the roles that you have, like the way you relate to your baby, um, the way that you relate to your partner, um, just how you go about getting back into those everyday activities. It has has a massive impact in your headspace as well as physically some of those symptoms that mums experience. So, Emmanuel, those sorts of impacts that um, Janelle is talking about, have you seen that come through in your work with women? Oh, absolutely. Um, they are the most constant issue that recovery, the questions of what will happen to me in the future, uh, questions about their own body, their own self, and obviously their trauma impacts on their their care for their own baby, for their partner. And I think that often we as doctors do sometimes miss out on the empathetic side of caring about those psychological factors and the sexual factors as well mm-hmm. while we focus on trying to you know correct their anatomy and help them with you know simple not simple but important things like you know protecting them from you know having anal incontinence or trying to treat those issues. Janelle did your friends and family understand the impact of your injury? Probably no 
Um, and I think part of that was me. I was quite quite internal about my my experience and what I was what I was trying to navigate. Um, I think outwardly they probably thought that I was doing doing quite well, um, but not necessarily how it was on the inside. Because I know this is something we need to talk more about, but most of us are quite private about mm. that part of our body. Do you think? that it should be up to the women who've been through this experience to talk about their tears? I mean, how can we do this in an empathetic way? Because I'm not sure if I had such a severe tear, I'd want to be telling people about it either. I think there's that balance of reducing some of the taboo around this so that if it feels right for that that mother, um, she can more confidently talk about what her experience is. But I think it's also making sure that um, health professionals can respond when there's that that tiny little question that is really just the tip of the iceberg um, rather than, than disregarding that, being able to bring compassion into that space and saying, hey, there is further support for this. Um, I can see there's something further going on here. So offering offering that support, making it more accessible to women and and in turn just allowing that conversation if it feels right because yes it isn't isn't right for everyone to be sharing um, what's going what's going on with their body um, it's a very intimate part of ourselves but I think these conversations can help women know there is further support yes for the physical aspects and some of those symptoms that they might be having challenges with but also how they're feeling in their own body as well. Emmanuel, what we're talking about here um, is, of course, the, the psychological help and support that Janelle missed out on when she was going through this. It also seems like the research indicates that there are two other problems, big problems in Australia, and, and one might be that these tears aren't being found soon enough, and the other that there seems to be quite a big discrepancy across Australia in terms of where you are more likely to tear if you give birth in a particular part of the country. Um, could we just go to the first part of that? In terms of the research, are we missing a lot of these tears? Is that part of what these new um, outlines are trying to address? Yes, I, I do believe that we're missing them. I don't think we're routinely checking for them. Um, and that could be one of the reasons that might explain the discrepancy across Australia. And is that because um, people are trained differently or people have greater pressures on them at different hospital centres around the country? I think it does come down to training. Um, and uh, you often learn by the people that uh, are around you and cultures and routines develop around birth. It's not just that, it's also that information and new information like the simple act of checking for a third degree tear with a simple uh, digital examination of the back passage is just not something that has been normal in uh, looking after women after we deliver their baby. You know, we mm -hmm. talked about helping them give birth. We're talking about removing the placenta. We worry a lot about whether they might have a problem with hemorrhaging. Um, but then we don't, and we know that they're likely to have the need for suturing, but we may not check enough to see uh, whether there is a third degree tear. Mm, it sounds incredible that it's something that is is not 
hasn't been addressed properly and is only being addressed now in 2021. And I do know when you're saying that, I was thinking, I, I'm sure I know people who have had significant tears that that weren't wasn't picked up while they were in, still in hospital. And some are even at the six-week check. Would it be possible to miss a third-degree tear at a six-week checkup? Absolutely, it's possible because by then things have healed and the clinician seeing the woman may not be able to detect it. Uh, and it could be that the woman had a mild third-degree tear that's not causing any significant symptoms, so it goes undetected. And does that mean if they didn't have any symptoms, they're unlikely to get any, or can it get worse? Uh, many women don't have symptoms after third-degree tears, fortunately, when we're talking, we're talking about handling incontinence now. Yes. Um, but for those women, it could be that their subsequent birth could provoke anal incontinence, a, a further weakening of that area. So it is important to detect and to treat. Uh, and I think also it compromised their potential to actually, ha if you didn't pick it up, it might have compromised their potential to have a, another straightforward birth without problems with anal incontinence in the future with their next child. Mm. Janelle, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking that this kind of tear could have a significant impact on how women feel about childbirth. And you, you mm. mentioned that earlier. Did it impact the way you thought about having more children? Um, and what are your thoughts around how that could be handled better? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I certainly had a lot of questions myself around what I would do. I knew that we wanted to have another child. For me, what I found challenging was the way that information was presented to me. Um, it wasn't customised to my personal situation and some of the factors that um, I know were high risk factors for, for developing a, a third degree tear in my situation. And in fact, at times I felt quite ridiculed for the choices that I made. I did choose to have a vaginal birth for my next next baby and um, I, I barely had a graze for that but there was a lot of preparation into that there was a lot of research into that and that was the decision that was right for me but certainly the way that information was presented to me was not always helpful there was a lot of fear there and um uh, it, it appeared a lot of inability to actually match that information up to my particular unique situation rather than just some blanket facts which weren't actually relevant in my situation. So, Emmanuel, are, are the new standards also ad addressing preventative measures for um, actually trying to reduce the amount of tears in the first place? Absolutely. That's one of the most important parts. Imagine... Uh, if we could decrease the incidence of these third and fourth degree tears, we would be decreasing the suffering for quite a lot of women. Uh, mm -hmm. So prevention is actually a really important part of um, this clinical care standard. And uh, I would hope that's actually the most important part. Yeah. So Janelle, when you said you did, basically you, you needed to do the research yourself in order to prepare mm. for childbirth, what sort of things did you do to try and avoid, and indeed you did avoid, so congratulations, all your hard work paid off. Mm. Um, but what did you do to try and prevent further tearing on your second childbirth? Um, I, I went through a lot of the literature that has been referenced as part of developing this standard and um, 
most of those recommendations in the standard are things that I I did as part of my preparation for my for my follow follow up birth. So I was doing a lot of that that homework myself, but certainly going to the sources that this standard has referenced. And are those things like I can't even remember what they're called, but the balls that you can use to stretch your cervix and. Uh, exercises, that kind of thing. Is that what you were doing? Um, I certainly did some some body work. Um, I I learned a lot about my body and how to um, relax my pelvic floor, and learned a lot about what was potentially contributing to the challenges I had in my first labour as well. But a lot of it was that emotional preparation, the choice of care provider that I made. Um, those factors, I believe, were just as important as well. I I love the sound of that because a lot of what I've um, done in this work goes towards saying find who's right for you, find who the right yeah. supportive and safe environment where you feel confident having your baby. Emmanuel, you are often working trying to help women after this problem has occurred. Is what Janelle's saying in terms of being psychologically prepared and having the right team for birth is that resonating with you as well? Oh, absolutely. It's very important, I think, to state that most women are just like Janelle. They've had a third degree tear, but they really don't want a cesarean for their next child. And for the vast majority of those women, they shouldn't have to have one. And mm. uh, we go towards trying to support that as much as possible. Yeah, to give the contrast, I was told that I had to have a cesarean and any other option was basically ridiculed. So um, hopefully that is some consistency that women can can access through this standard. And Emmanuel, would you say in your work, um, when you're acting as the obstetrician and not necessarily fixing the problem, you've come across women who said to you, I've torn, but I, I want to have a vaginal birth. What, what happens there with you? Well, in my unit, we will then uh, assess the woman. We look at all the different factors. We look at how severe are their current symptoms? Do they have significant symptoms of anal incontinence, for example? Uh, we look at what were the circumstances that led to the third or fourth degree tear? And we also do testing of their uh, anal sphincter muscles and imaging of their anal sphincter, of their anal sphincter uh, later on um, to help us understand a bit more about the intactness of that tear as well. But these are, I should state that the clinical care standard at the moment is focusing primarily on trying to prevent women having their third degree tear and also how to treat women with their third degree tear. So it doesn't focus as much on how to treat a woman with her subsequent birth. Um, that is usually the realm of the unit or the clinic that the woman will visit or the doctor that she'll visit afterwards. And that's what's made a big difference to to yourself, Janelle. But it also sounds like through this process, you've also been able to reflect having the second baby has shown you what is possible with the right kind of knowledge and care and preparation before childbirth. Yeah, enormously so. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is that I was able to make the choices that were right for me. And um, certainly the research shows that when women are, are supported and feel empowered, whatever their choice is, whether it is to choose a caesarean section or um, whatever that choice is, if they feel feel supported and empowered through that, that usually leads to, to a good outcome. But it was certainly the right choice for me. 
Well, it is exciting that we have these new um, national standards and it sounds like it's only going to be mean better care for women in childbirth. Thank you both for chatting with me today. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That's obstetrician and neurogynecologist Emmanuel Carantanis and Janelle Gullen. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.